Good morning. We are thankful for your presence this morning. It is one of those days that it is encouraging to be here when we don't really want to start worship because of the enjoyment that we have in our fellowship, to see the auditorium filling up and to see so many having good fellowship together. We are thankful that you are here this morning. I think we've got about everybody in every category. Of course, our members, we're glad you're here and certainly some who are visitors in our midst and we appreciate you being with us uh, this morning. Uh, we've got many who are back. I started trying to make a list. I got Marvin and Ann and Faith and Betty and Buford and Karen, and I had to stop. We got too many, but that's the good news. Uh, but even as we said this morning, there are many who need our prayers. Our sister Elaine is, is very sick and struggling with pneumonia, and we want to see her get better. Our sister Catherine Isom as well is at home and not feeling very well. We want to pray for all of those on our sick list, but we're certainly glad that those who can be with us are able to be here even on this cold day for us. Uh, we're thankful as well to see some of... Uh, our sister Barbara's family with us. As they said this morning, she was not feeling very well after a very long day and having to be outside for part of that in the cold, but we're thankful for some of the family that is with us today. And, and on behalf of them, I know I can say that we appreciate so much all those who extended out love and care and concern during this time. Uh, we appreciate those who helped with the meal yesterday for the family here at the building. Included in that, uh, there were several leftovers left over, and there was an email that went out last night that some of you may have gotten or may not have seen, uh, but the request was to bring a few more side dishes, and then we would have a meal this afternoon. So if you're able to stay for a few moments, there is still uh, some food that was left over from the meal yesterday, and some of it's being prepared, and my goal is only to preach fast enough that the smell doesn't get in here to some of you that and sit in that back corner. I got my eyes on y'all but um, before we uh, dismiss. But we will have uh, some food prepared if you'd like to stay and visit with us. Uh, several little housekeeping things, but let me say as well, we had a very good men's meeting, business meeting and breakfast yesterday. Included in that, we're thankful to all the women who helped fix food or were a part of, of putting that on as far as the breakfast went yesterday morning. I know Bill in the past has kind of given a little recap of that. I had kind of already planned my lessons for today, so if you'd be with us next Sunday morning, I'd like to touch on a few of those things. We'll have a, a regular, you know, kind of sermon and, and point there for our, the rest of our uh, sermon in next Sunday morning, but we would like to share a few of the things that were discussed. We had a very productive meeting with good ideas and things talked about. And as always, I think I can speak on behalf of the elders. If you have any any questions or concerns about anything, uh, they would welcome those. You can see one of them or ask for a meeting with them, and they'd gladly share with you anything that's going on, any ideas you might have or suggestions. We're always wanting to see how we can get better here and improve ourselves, improve the congregation, reaching out to those in the community and those that would like to be a part of the family here. And we would always welcome anyone who has any questions uh, asking those. This morning, if you've got your Bible, you can be turning to the book of James. James chapter 1. Again, we're thankful you're here, and if you're visiting with us, please hang around for a few moments that we can get to know you and visit with you. And as Jerry said, we're, we're trying to do a better job of capturing our visitors who are here, not capturing them, but capturing them in the sense that you are here. Uh, we really just want your address, so we can send you a car. We want to know you're here, and we're thankful uh, that you are here with us, and we want a chance to get to greet you, so we appreciate that. As we think about James chapter 1, and really we're going to think about verse 1, uh, life is a journey. And as I look around this room and I think about the many people here, uh, we are all at various points of that journey at different stages in our life. We, we get to different points of that journey along the way. Of course, primarily, we're kind of talking about the Christian journey, but, but really in, in many ways. Sometimes it has to do with our age. Of course, adults are, are more mature than kids, and, and kids don't progress that way in their spiritual journey, obviously, as adults do. 
Sometimes it comes with our, our raising, we say here in the South. If you were raised attending the services of the church, then you were raised, you know, knowing a little bit more than other people in the world about the Bible and about God. Sometimes it has to do with our status. Sometimes it has to do with our family. Many different things go into where we are in our journey. Again, spiritual journey, but even in our life. This morning, is it possible, though, that we could look at a person in the Bible and think about what they did, and look at them and and think about uh, some practical applications, some practical lessons that we could apply to our lives to think about what we're doing. Could we look at someone else's journey, if you will, and again, try to think about us and our journey, specifically with our spiritual journey, with God. In James chapter 1 and verse number 1, the Bible says, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. To the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. Now we know that many letters during that time were addressed from the beginning as opposed to the end as we do commonly in our society. They began with their greeting and their welcome. When we think about the words that are used here, before we get into the person that said it, let's look at the word bond servant for a moment. Depending on the version that you're looking at, you may see the word servant. And depending on the version you're looking at, if you've got one that's maybe a little less frequently used, you may even see the word slave. The Greek word that's used there for bond servant or servant is doulos. And it designates a slave. It kind of comes from the Greek word, or the root word, many think, uh, of deo, which means to bind. We think about a servant being bound. Uh, We think of someone who is not free. That's the idea here. James says, I am a slave, I am a servant to God and to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, who is this James? Because that's an important question for us to ask. There are actually four different James that are mentioned in the New Testament. One is... We really don't know very much about him at all. But then as well, there is James, the one they called the less. I won't sing the song for you, but we think about the twelve. We sing about James, the one they called the less. James, the son of Alphaeus. We know something about him. We also know James, more popularly known as the James and John, the sons of Zebedee. So we have two of the twelve who go by this name, James. But there's also a fourth idea. If you've got your Bible, look in Matthew chapter 13 and verses 53 through 56. Because here we're seeing Jesus essentially being rejected. Rejected by those in Nazareth. And they're asking, as they're astonished at what he's saying, who is this Jesus? Who is this man? And in verse 54, they say, where did this man and this wisdom and these mighty works, where did he get them? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, and even into verse 56, and his sisters, are they not all with us? Where then did this man get all these things? It's commonly held among most scholars, and and, you know, we, we as preachers try to touch on scholars sometimes. I've got a book about this thick I was looking at this morning again, um, that, that is a introduction to the New Testament. Now, this is not the introduction that you pick up and read when you're sitting at home with nothing to do. This is the book that you pick up when your professor in college tells you you've got to get it because it's called, actually, a critical introduction to the New Testament. There's about four pages devoted to whether or not who this James is. So suffice it to say for our time this morning that most scholars tend to agree that this James is the half-brother of Jesus. Now... With that critical introduction, there's all kinds of external evidence, internal evidence in the book, the way the book is written, other things that we read about in the Bible. 
all of these things that we could spend time looking at this morning. But most people tend to agree that this is the half-brother of Jesus. Okay, well now that's a little more interesting. When we're talking about someone's journey, now we're kind of listening a little bit. This is not just anybody then. If this is a relative, a half-brother of Jesus, then, hmm... Maybe we should think a little more about what he's trying to say here. And what we want to do in our few moments that we have left this morning is, is try to look at and understand maybe a little bit about James's journey. He kind of gives us a little insight here when we think about what else we know about him. And that's what we want to talk about as we go through our lesson. First of all this morning, if you've got your outline in front of you there in the bulletin, James at first did not believe his brother. He did not believe his brother. Now, if you've got your Bible, you may look in John chapter 7 and verse number 5. Because as we come there to John chapter 7, and we're going to even look at chapter 6 in a moment, verse 5 says very plain and simply, For even his brothers did not believe in him. For even his brothers did not believe in him. Now, if you're familiar with Jesus at all, and I would say you're here this morning because you are, whether you're a Christian or not, or visiting, or you're, you're familiar with Jesus, we know what he did. I mean, we know what he was a part of, and all the things that he went through, the way that he was accepted, the way that he was rejected, the way that he interacted with the people. I wonder what it would have been like to, to know that, to know that his brothers did not believe in him. Now, if you've got any siblings, brothers or sisters, you can understand how sibling rivalries go from time to time. And, and we're not really given any specific insight into that. But, but you might imagine there's a little bit of that. I mean, we're human. We get mad at our siblings. We're jealous of our siblings. But they do not believe in him. And the question I keep coming back to is, what would it take? What would it take? What would it take for you? I taught a class not too long ago on miracles. And that was a fascinating study because I continually have to ask myself, what would it take to believe in Jesus? Not only what would it take for us today, but what did it take for those who were standing there right with him? I used this passage, I think, even last week. But in John chapter 6 there, if maybe you even go back a few verses or a page in your Bible, beginning in verse 66 through 69, we talked about the fact that there were those standing with him who turned their back on Jesus. They didn't believe in him anymore. They didn't, they didn't want to follow him anymore. And, and Jesus asked the twelve, do you want to go away? And Peter says, you have the words of eternal life. There's nowhere else to go. We didn't get as far as verse 69. But in verse 69, Peter goes on to say, also we have come to believe. And know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So I ask you, what would it have been like for, for Jesus to have those turn their back on him? To turn around and walk away? But, but Peter says, we believe, we're going to stick with you. But what would it take? When we think about the, the account of John, John's account of the life of Jesus, uh, there had already been water turned to wine, as John records for us. There had already been healing. If you go back just a few chapters, there's, there's a couple of different healings of people. What would it take? You go forward in John, there's the feeding of the 5,000 before we get to John chapter 6 and 7. And, and even later in John, there is the raising of the dead. What would it take? Jesus' brothers at first do not believe him. And I, I don't know. And that idea of miracles is amazing to me to watch somebody who was, who was not able to walk all of a sudden stand up and, and hop around and walk. I mean, to, to think that there's a person dead and, and dead things do not come back to life again, come forth out of the tomb. 
What would it take? But Jesus' brothers, at least at this point, do not believe him. And that's kind of an interesting take for us. But when we think about James, there's, there's part of his journey. There's part of his walk. At least beginning, he does not believe his brother. But number two this morning, James changed his mind. He changed his mind. But he did that after seeing. Now the verse on the screen is 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse number 7. And if you know anything about 1 Corinthians 15, the beginning of verse, or excuse me, chapter 15 is the gospel. It's the gospel. And we use that word a lot. And we maybe toss it around a little bit, you know, not flippantly necessarily. But we talk about the gospel. Responding to the gospel. The gospel call. What is the gospel? The gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And, and Paul says that here. Down in verses 3 and 4. And he goes on in 5 to say that after he was resurrected, which by the way, is one of the major parts of it. I mean, his death and burial is. But if he didn't rise again, what good would it would have done? But he rose again. And in verse 5 it says that he was seen by Cephas and by the twelve. And verse number 6, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once. And in verse number 7, he was seen by James. What would it take? Well, for James, it would seem like it took seeing. Now, if you've got your Bible, go over to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1 in verse number 14. Because we have an interesting, uh, uh, maybe a little side thought compared to that, and a little something else to consider. But in Acts chapter 1, before Jesus ascends into heaven, he's talking there to the, the apostles. And really after that, in verse number 12, they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And in verse number 13, we see who is there. But continuing on into verse number 14, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. They're there in Acts chapter 1. They're gathered there with those other folks who are continuing in prayer and supplication. James is there because he believes. And he believes because he's seen. His skepticism has been transformed into faith. If you've got your Bible, go back to, to the end of the New Testament, 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 8. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 8. Really, it continues on down from verse number 6, but Peter talks about that we may be found to praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen... You love, or whom having not known, you love. Turn over a page or two to First John, First John chapter four and verse number twenty. We know that John says, "If someone says I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar, a liar." Why? For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? James changed his mind. After seeing. And that's an encouraging thought for us. He took his skepticism. And, and I imagine, and again, we don't know for sure, but I can picture James and others watching from afar. You know, standing back a ways. Maybe a day's journey behind. Maybe even, you know, kind of coming in later in the, the evening after Jesus has arrived somewhere. And, and kind of hanging back among the crowd and watching their skepticism. They're unsure. There's unbelief. But James is transformed into a faith 
because he's now seen. He's now seen Jesus and he now understands and he's going to make the change. But to dig into it a little deeper and to begin to make application for ourselves, thirdly this morning, it's humility. It's not just the seeing, but it's the humbleness that comes after that. That leads James, by inspiration, to write this practical epistle. We don't have time, obviously, to get into the entire book of James this morning. But when you think of what you know, what does James talk about? James talks about the tongue. James talks about love. James talks about wisdom. James talks about doing things. He talks about faith. This practical epistle. Because you know when Paul wrote, not all the time, but many times as Paul wrote, Romans, Corinthians, he's writing to somebody. Almost at somebody, if you'll allow me to say it that way. Here's some of the things you have going on. Here's some of the things you need to consider. But James doesn't write necessarily at any particular group of people and say, hey, you need to fix this. He writes this general epistle. And I like the phrase there, this practical epistle. One to all followers of Jesus. To those that would read it at that time as he penned it. And to us today, we can take a look at James and see, by inspiration, this humility that he practiced in his life. If you've got your Bible, look in Acts chapter 15, because we see a little bit more about the change of James. Well, we don't just know simply of this letter, this general practical epistle, but in James chapter 15, we see that James, or excuse me, Acts 15, we would see that James goes on to become a pillar, if you will, in the church at Jerusalem. Now, you Bible students may know Acts 15, but for those of you who are a little less familiar, this is what we sometimes call the Jerusalem Council. This is where a bunch of folks got together because there were Jewish people who were practicing a, a dogma, if you will, that, that what they said was that the gospel plus circumcision equaled salvation. That's what they were trying to bind on, on everyone else. That the gospel plus the circumcision, that's how you could be saved. And, and so there's this council and there's this discussion on what they are going to do with these Gentile converts. And they have, again, a lot more than we have time to get into this morning. But they have this. But if you look down in Acts chapter 15, beginning in verse 6, but really going on down even further in verse number 13. And after they had become silent or stopped speaking, James answered. James answered. He's going to become, or he is, a pillar in the church at Jerusalem. He's going to speak up here. He's going to have an impact, even after his change. He didn't believe and stop. He believed and he kept doing things. Go back a page or two to Acts chapter 12. In Acts chapter 12, in verse number 17... After Peter is freed from prison, perhaps you recall this, the angel frees Peter from prison and he goes to the house of Mary and he knocks on the door and the person who answers the door doesn't really answer it. She hears his voice and she takes off running to tell the others and Peter's kind of left standing there going, wait a minute, let me in. And as she goes in and they talk, as Peter comes in and he begins to declare to them in verse number 17 how the Lord had brought him out of the prison, he said, go and tell. Go and tell who? Well, he says, go and tell these things to James and to the brethren. It would appear that James made a change. He didn't just make a small change. He made a big change. He didn't just go from being somebody who was a skeptic, but he went to someone who was going to be a pillar in the church at Jerusalem. And so as we begin to kind of make application to ourselves, 
It's no wonder then, as we look at James chapter 1 in verse number 1, to think about his journey, that James, who is now a believer, chooses to identify himself as a doulos, as a slave, as one who is not free, who is bound to God and to Jesus Christ. It's a principle that's in the Bible. It's a principle that he probably heard before. We think about Matthew chapter 20, specifically verse number 16. That's the end of the parable of the vineyard workers. But it's there that Jesus talks about that the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. James, as a believer, now recognizes, I've got to be a slave. I've got to be a servant. I am in service to my Lord, Jesus Christ. I am a servant of God. He does not identify himself as brother of the Savior. How about that? Huh? What if I was writing? Ah, this is a letter from Joel, and by the way, I'm a brother of Jesus, right? We would say who I am. This is my calling card. I am a brother of Jesus. You need to give me some kind of attention or some type of title. That might be the way we would treat it. James doesn't do that. He refers to himself as the servant, the bond servant. He doesn't need that. Because he's not just a part-time believer. I mean, later, he might have come to it later, but he's just not a part-time believer. He's a believer, and he's a servant. He recognizes, I don't have to give my title as brother or half-brother of Jesus. No, I'm a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. As we begin to think about our journey and make application to ourselves, when we realize who we are and who he is, we will place ourselves under his command. That would be for those who are the least to those who are the brother or half-brother of Jesus. And obviously no one here is, no one today is. But as we recognize that, we will say, I am a bondservant. I am one who is under the command of Jesus the Christ. There is a change. And so maybe you've never thought about James before. Maybe you've never thought about James chapter 1 and verse number 1. Because if you're like me, as I flip back over in my Bible, I have James 1 and verse number 2 underlined. And, you know, if I'm not careful, I don't even pay attention to verse number 1. Because i got 2 and 3 underlined in my Bible. James jumps right into it by saying, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials or temptations. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. He jumps right in. That's always been one of my favorite passages. It's underlined. But if I'm not careful, I forget the journey that James took to get there. And when I ask you at the beginning, where are you on your journey? That's the reason we can look at James. Because we're all at different points. Maybe you're a believer. Maybe you're not. Maybe you've thought about it, but you're kind of on that journey like James. You're a little unsure. The question this morning is, where do you stand? If even the brother of Jesus could not believe for a time, but could see and believe, why not you? Of course, why not me? You know, it is in John chapter 20 and, and verse 29 that we read of Thomas. Right? And what does Thomas say? Oh, you're not going to trick me. I want to see. I want to see the nail piercings. I want to see the side. Not me. You're not going to trick me. And as Jesus is then seen by Thomas, he says, that's great. And blessed are you for, for seeing and believing. But there in John 20 and 29, he says, for those that can't see, which we can't see physically, we can't touch Jesus, blessed are those who believe when they can't see. Where are you in your journey this morning? Because when we think about James, a bond servant, 
of God and of Jesus Christ. We see a journey. A journey that we can probably find ourselves in somewhere along that way. And this morning as we are about to sing this song of encouragement, we ask you to consider that. Where do you stand? You know what's interesting is we put this slide up on the screen almost every sermon. And we call it the steps of salvation sometimes. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. We don't mean anything by that. But if you really think about it, we could be at any point on this steps, these steps, this plan of salvation. Maybe you're here this morning and you believe. You believe in Jesus and you believe in Jesus for a while. But you've not gone further. You've not repented of your sin. You've not confessed Jesus as Lord because He made a promise. Confess me before men and I will confess you before my Father. Maybe you've not been baptized for the remission of your sins. We'll be singing in a moment to encourage you to consider that. Finish out the journey. Don't stay before believing. Don't even stay with believing. Let it culminate with being baptized for the remission of your sins so that the Lord can add you to His church. But a lot of people in this room can say, don't stop there either. It doesn't even end there. Because once we believe and we repent and we confess and we're baptized, we're added to the church, we must continue on. Even as James did, recognizing the change and saying, I am a servant of God. I am a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here this morning and you're a Christian, but you've wandered away. You recognize there's sin in your life. We're thankful to God that He has blessed us with an opportunity even this day to make a change. Even James had a chance. And even we have a chance. Would you make a change in your life? Even now as we stand together and as we sing.